1: Everybody, to another episode of Bub and the Bat Flip, episode 37. Going to wrap up our third edition of ADP risers. The April ADPs compared to March ADPs are um, pre COVID, post COVID ADPs to kind of see where people are thinking strategy wise and, and seeing where the movements go from there. And in order to, uh, we're going to pick 240 and beyond. We've got about 20 something players to talk about. I'm on Twitter at BDMTrick and my co-host on this endeavor, as always, on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how we doing, man?
2: Bubba, we're doing great. I was mentioning to you before the show started that this is the earliest start to any uh, uh, Bubba and the BatFlip episode in the history of the world. We are, we started at about 7.55 p.m. Pacific time. For people who don't, um, a, little, a little behind the curtains here is normally... I'm like a three-year-old child when it comes to uh, starting the podcast. I'm like, "Bubba, I need two more minutes, two more minutes, <laughs> one more minute, ten more minutes." Uh, I'm not that bad, I don't think, but uh, no, definitely no. the earliest, er- earliest start we've gotten. I will
1: be. I will be honest. When you texted me and said, "Hey, I'll be ready whenever you want," I'm like, huh, "I'll be ready in five minutes. Let's go.
3: <laughs> let's, let's do, do it.
1: it. Yeah. yeah, let's do it." So, um, you know, there, there's the 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 owner's proposals on the table, I figure we'll just kind of table that one until something happens. But, um, cause we'll have a lot to talk about once that mm-hmm. takes place. But like I, I tweeted out probably about an hour before the show that as much as I've been confident about baseball, I think there's gonna be a lot of back and forth here or someone's just going to get mad and leave. So there's going to be some counter pro- proposals, whatever the owner's first option is really not looking like it's going to happen. Cause there's a lot of players tweeting out stuff that doesn't look positive. So I'll, um, We'll, uh, we'll dig into that. Hopefully next week we'll have an answer, but in the next few weeks we can get going on that. And let's just get into our ADPs here. Uh, again, we're going 240 and beyond, just kind of a, a handful of guys that really stood out. Starting with the first one, you're Starling Castro. He's up to ADP two or he's 243 overall, ADP of 249, jumping over 15 spots from his March ADP. Quite the riser, a guy we've talked about, you know, late round, middle infield option. But he's creeping up the boards, Toby. Uh, what's your thoughts on Castro?
2: You know, um, I think the blame for Castro lays uh, squarely on the shoulders of uh, of Brian Slack because he <laughs> was on he was on with Scott Jensted and Jeff uh, Erickson and was promoting Castro, and ever since that point, we've seen a surge. Uh, no, I think there's a lot of things to really like about Castro. The price is interesting, though. I mean, he's definitely up. I'd say he's up around fifty from when I was drafting, like back in February, something like that. Although my memory in these podcasts have served, has served has served me very poorly, so we'll see. But you know, the second half I think is the major story with Castro, as well as the environment that he's going to be in. Obviously, in uh, Nationals Park, um, you know, in that lineup, he's currently uh, written in batting third in that lineup, which is a really nice spot to be. I think regardless of whether he's batting third or, um, you know, wherever he's going to be in a really nice spot in that lineup uh, around Trey Turner, Adam Eaton, Juan Soto, obviously. So it just in a really good spot. And then you see the contact skills have always been there. He started to adjust the launch angle uh, in the second half of last year, which resulted in an increase in power without sacrificing too much of that batting average. So all in all, like a guy who made adjustments, Uh, solid exit velocity just from an average exit velocity standpoint. You know, so just like an all-around very solid hitter who by virtue of of increasing the launch angle and hitting more balls in the air has added a little power to his repertoire, finds himself in a great new environment. I think there's a lot of things to love. And I think people are smart in pushing him up the draft board.
1: Yeah, they're very, very smart. I I was just more surprised it finally happened. And one of my fun facts, I've probably used it on
2: this show before,
1: is I always love when we talk Starling Castro, he just turned 30 years old. The dude's been playing <laughs> forever. Uh, started in 2010, so he obviously started when he was 19 or 20 years old. It's crazy. Every year since 2011, at least double-digit home runs, 16 or more in three of the last four years. He's been as productive as they come. He just helps you in all stats. Doesn't run quite as much as he used to, but he can still maybe snag you four, five, six bags if, if you get lucky. And he's also, what, what I love, when you get later in drafts, a lot of guys that might help you in, in homers or steals or certain categories, batting average is hard to come by. And Castro has hit two seventy or better in four straight seasons. He's hit two seventy or better. He's hit two sixty five or better in six straight seasons. And in this era of baseball, as bad as two sixty five sounds, it's actually pretty darn solid, especially later in the draft. So he's helping you quite a bit. And he, like you mentioned, now he's going to a, a really, really good Washington lineup. Surely lost Harper two years ago and Rendon this last year, but still very potent lineup. Eaton, Turner... Um and, and Soto and company there, lots to like. So I, I'm with you on 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 the love for Starling Castro. I know it's a guy we like. Slack is the Starling, the mayor of Starling Castroville. So that is uh, <laughs> very very strong stuff there, and um I, I, I love it. I I, it, I told you last episode or maybe the first one or both. It's a bummer seeing so many guys we really like moving up the boards, but uh this one is a, a just do. I'm really happy. I think you might be right because, so like I said, he's going around 249 right now. 15 picks would have been like 265 in March. He was had to have been going close to 300 in February, mm-hmm. January, February. You you are right about that because I'm pretty sure when we did the second base podcast, we were like way into like oh, super late Starling Castro. So um, it is good to see him moving on up, and uh, that's a, a strong one. we will see how it keeps going. I don't know if. Maybe people thought uh, you know Florida only will help. Washington's ballpark's not bad for hitters. The big thing is if they are doing the three divisions and he's stuck in the East, he gets the Yankees uh, all the time and the Mets pitching mm-hmm. staff. He's going to get some beasts, and that's what's going to make some fun discussions we're going to have here in the next few weeks when things get uh, hopefully
2: ironed out. But until then, Starlin Castro on the move up. Yeah, I've been actually been thinking a ton about that, like the just who benefits and who is hurt by the by the proposal, you know, with mm-hmm. the NL East going against the AL East. Cause I actually think hitters in the Easts are in, are in decent shape. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. Isn't Castroville right near you? Yes, yes, yeah. it is. That's what I, was yes. is it,
1: it, it, I was wondering if you listeners will pick up
2: on uh, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the artichoke the,
1: capital of the oh, world.
2: Oh, Bubba, that was going to be my, I was going to drop my like <laughs> sorry, Monterey sorry. Peninsula like <laughs> knowledge there. I remember the sign as you drive in. It's red with a big old artichoke in the middle of it. This is yep. welcome to Watsonville. Yeah. Uh, yep. World, the, uh, what is it? The world's the capital of the artichoke. The artichoke
1: capital of the world. world.
2: There you go. Man, I cannot believe you stole that from me. That one hurts. They have an artichoke festival every year for
1: two days, and it's quite the party. They started getting bands coming to it. It's a, <laughs> it's a good time. Anything artichokes you can think of, you can find. It's pretty uh, pretty funny. My uh, dog loves it, as you he can hear.
2: Artichoke dip is delicious. I'm just hoping that there is an artichoke emoji that I can put uh in the podcast oh, when I, when I start to publicize strong. it. Many, yeah, people, we'll see. many
1: people love the, the flip. Uh, emoji game like if you can do artichoke jalapeno dip outstanding. Oh. but uh <laughs> oh man
2: let's i'm gonna check really quickly yeah. about what my emoji <laughs> options are while you're introducing uh, yeah. the next thing
1: the next player most of the people i tried to make sure were give or take moving up or down at least 10 spots this one i wanted to mention it was nine point eight seven eighty p points from march to april and that is one john gray John Gray is currently going about ADP 250-ish right now. And I want to talk about him because we talked about uh, Marquez last week. Pitchers in Colorado are moving up. People are thinking they're kind of even the playing fields, not playing in Colorado. So for now, we'll stick with that theory. But again, if we want to go divisional route, they're going to play their home games in Colorado and maybe a lot of games in Arizona because I'm assuming the California teams is playing in Arizona. But for now, John Gray moves up about 10 spots. I still can't stomach John Gray, but I understand the appeal, because we've seen goodness from him. I'm just not on board yet. What say you?
2: Bubba, quick. Yes. Which, does John Gray in his career have a better ERA at home or away? Oh,
1: I know this one. It's at home. He's actually one of the better Rockies pitchers at home. It's mind-boggling.
2: Yeah. So he's got a 4 3 ERA at home, a four five six ERA on the road. So he's better at home at Coors Field. All right. Quick question uh babbitt does john gray have a higher babbitt on the road or at home of course
1: let's go road on this one maybe that's why he struggles so much but tell me i'm wrong
2: uh you you are wrong but but just by one point he's got a three two four babbitt at home and then a three two three uh babbitt away from home um and then let's do one more um well I won't do that one it's not that interesting but anyways I don't think the problem with John Gray is necessarily cores um I think obviously if he was all all like totally out of cores all the time it would be a little bit of a different story but I just don't think he's that good of a pitcher he's never really been um you know he sucks on the at home and he sucks on the road so it's not like you can really say Oh, well, I'm gonna only start him on his road starts. He's been worse throughout his career on the road, and that includes last year as well. So um, for me, until he gets entirely out of cores, uh, I think I'm um I think I'm not I'm not interested in Gray. The one interesting point I, I'll say is just that his fastball velocity was up last year, which I think helped make it one of his better years that he's had so
3: far.
1: Yeah, he has those like flashes of looking good. And uh, I, I I knew the uh, the Colorado ERA things. That's like the go to for so many. I just yeah, I'm with you. I'm just gonna sit back and I keep telling myself it's not Coors either. So prove me wrong. Have fun with uh, t- John Gray going ten picks higher. Uh, he'd have to go about twenty picks lower for me to start thinking about it. That's just where I sit on that one. But I teased this. I, I teased this guy and his teammate, who we'll talk about later as well. But Randall Gritchik some of our baby Blue Jays here. These are the ones that come to value. The ones that Toby loves. He's Big fan of these guys. Um, he has jumped up 17 spots, going around pick 250 right now in NFBC ADPs. And we've talked about him quite a bit. What's your thoughts on Mr. Gritchick?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think he's starting to, he's moving up there, but I think he's still always an undervalued power bat. And so just with the strategy that I often employ that people know about, I mean, not the aces piece, but just trying to hammer home batting average and stolen bases early on. Gritchuk is a really nice piece to add. You know, he just, he hits home runs and he doesn't necessarily need a ton of plate appearances to do it. Um, he has a great home runs per plate appearance throughout his career. And he's going to get full-time plate appearances with the Blue Jays in a really nice spot in that lineup. He has actually shown some improvement, um, you know, in the underlying um, skills, at least in the second half of last year. Um, You know, he's been chasing slightly less than he has historically. Um, His contact rate was also up as well. So there's these kind of minor changes that if they can, um, you know, if they can kind of combine in the right set of circumstances, I think could make him a guy who um, could be among the league leaders in home runs. Um, I could easily see him hitting, you know, being on pace for 40, you know, in like a 600 plate appearance season. Um, you just got to hope that everything kind of comes together for him. But regardless, he will hurt your batting average, but he will get you home runs. I think that's pretty safe to say as long as he's healthy. So I think that's going to happen.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. 17 or more homers in each year since 15, 22 or more in four straight years. And like you mentioned, he's just consistent in a small dose. Uh, last year, we played 151 games at 31 homers. But prior to that, 124, 122, 132, and still got you 22 or more home runs. So. Very productive when he's out there. You look at his stat cast metrics and he's just a hard hit monster, barrel rate machine. Even his ISO. Last year his lowest ISO ever at 225, or lowest ISO since he started you know, mashing since 2015. A 225 ISO being your lowest is still pretty darn good. So uh, he takes advantage of what he does and he does it with a very low Babbitt because of his elevation. Mm. Uh, That's one thing to keep in mind as well. But at the same time, the last two years we've seen a strikeout rate drop. He was around a 30% 30% guy for his first three full seasons. Now he's down to 26% the last two. So maybe if he keeps, um, you know, a little less strikeouts as he's doing, maybe lower it some more, or stay there. A little more, quote-unquote, maybe luck on his side, on his bad, bit, maybe get that thing to 280, 300-ish. You, you never know what can happen there. But, yeah, very solid solid source, like you're saying, that can be quite productive, laid out, field piece that you can definitely enjoy on your roster.
2: Um, but- yeah, and, and um, one thing I don't understand about Grichuk – is that his contact skills are actually really freaking good. Mm-hmm. Um, he, like, he was averaging for much of the season last year around a 90% in the zone contact rate. And his overall contact rate is also after a very slow start to the season was also well above or at least at or above league average. And so the strikeout rate seems high to me, but it's always like been around there um he's just a super interesting guy to me I just can't put my finger on why he has not been able to get that strikeout rate further down although it was down to 21.3 percent over his last 40 games that's good so um I think there's a lot to like about Grichik. I think a lot of people like him already though so which is the sad thing
1: and and the one other thing I think that uh, affects the Babbitt quite a bit that's odd you don't see it a ton when we look at a lot of players we discuss but Last year's pop up rate was 12.5%. Like that mm-hmm. is just giving away outs. It was almost 12% the year before. He's essentially been like an 8% or higher pop up guy. And most of these power hitters you see heavy fly ball, maybe decent live drive, not a ton of pop ups. That's just a slight, a slight tweak, just a slight launch angle tweak and tweak a lot of that stuff. So, yeah, I like Richie quite a bit. Nothing to, uh, to add on to that. The next guy has been talked about and talked about everywhere and for good reason. For very good reason. Dansby Swanson just continues to climb. I'm actually shocked he's not higher, but I guess it shows the depth of the shortstop position, kind of how we were talking about a few guys last week. Uh, He's going around pick 252 right now in NFPCs, jumping almost 14 spots since March. Uh, What's your take on Dansby, who's just on everyone's radar, yet still not getting drafted that high?
2: Yeah, I mean, I love Dansby. I think, God, did we do a bold prediction about him? I can't remember if that he was one of my bold predictions. I don't think he not was. Yet. Maybe he we wasn't. Not yet. yet. Maybe no. maybe we'll get there. But um, he's just a guy I really like. I found myself, especially in later drafts, because he hasn't been moving up as, as quickly as some of the other values. Just a really nice guy to have. I mean, he's going to get you speed. He's going to get you a little bit of power. The batting average isn't going to be atrocious. He could be in a really nice spot in the Braves lineup, depending on where he lands. I've mentioned this before, so apologies to our frequent listeners, but I really think there's a solid chance he ends up batting fifth um, in that in that Braves lineup um, after Ozuna, which would be ideal for his RBI and and not bad for his stolen bases too, because it's a pretty pretty weak back end of the lineup. So really love a lot about Swanson, a lot of really great changes last year. You know, better plate discipline, a return of his better plate discipline. Um, contact rate was about the same, but he managed to hit the ball, make much better quality of contact. Average launch angle uh, was up. You know, his ground ball rate was down. Um, so hard hit rate was up. So everything barrel rate was up. Everything I love about Damsby Swanson moving forward, he was just injured. His end of season was God awful, like zero home runs and 114 plate appearances bad, like just totally awful. He returned too quickly from injury. And I think that's why his his stock, Uh, Still hasn't gone up as much as it would have if he would have finished off strong. 100%. You're dead on there. A couple of
1: things to add there. We've talked about many times when he was hitting towards the top of the order, he was ridiculous. Like, just, and obviously that helps having Josh Donaldson and Freddie Freeman hitting behind you. That's a beautiful thing. So it's a major reason why we keep talking about if he can just be up to the lineup, even fifth is good, but just move him up there. Like, imagine a world where it's like Swanson Albies one and two, whatever order, Acuna three, Freeman four. And then Ozuna, Ozuna 5. Oh, man, that would be just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful for the fantasy world. So that's something fun. And I'll give you a bold prediction. And it, this is going to be fun because everyone knows how much I love Boba Shet. Hey! Damsby Swanson. Oh, is that yours? Oh.
2: <laughs> is that yours? No, you go. You do it. You just do I'll it. I was
1: going to say, say Damsby Swanson can outperform Boba Shett. If, 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 uh. if Damsby's if health, healthy – he basically is the same player, if not better. So, but, but I
2: was thinking about that earlier today <laughs> when I saw the list. I was literally thinking like, ooh, that would be a good, bold prediction. But then I was like, but I don't dislike Bichette that much. It's just the cost for Bichette, you know? Yeah, 100%. Um, but no, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think it's actually a pretty similar skill set in a lot of ways. 100%. I'm sure if you – I think that would probably make a good tweet for anybody looking for a good tweet out there is compare the underlying skills of Boba Shett and Dansby Swanson. And you might find yourself liking Dansby Swanson a whole lot more, especially when you consider the value. So, um, no, I think that's a great shout. Uh, everybody, this today's show is brought to you by Bubba stealing all of my material. Uh, <laughs> I'm just the, be quiet in, the Castroville. <laughs> it's a, we're just like, we're too, we're too much in line, Bubba. This isn't yeah. working.
1: Yeah. I think we, we, we talk too much of baseball and, uh, uh, that that's fun. That's part of the fun of when we do this show, and you're you're doing the deep dive on the players with all your smart analytics. I sit here and I just keep scrolling through the Savant page until I find something that, that stands <laughs> out to me. So while you were doing the Dansby part, I'm like, this looks identical, if not slightly better than Bo Bichette. This oh, <laughs> is like it's crazy looking at it, and I love Bo, but literally like that's over 200 picks apart. That's yeah. a large, large gap.
2: Ooh, Bubba, I'm gonna spectrum. love this. I'm going to do a tweet tonight about that because that is too good. Um, I, would rec- uh,
1: I would recommend a uh, YouTube video comparing them.
2: Oh, man. I've already done Bo Bichette, though. I can't. You, I can't do well, it. If, really
1: if you want to have all of Toronto hate you, you can do it again. I'm just, oh, I'm I'll just do. I'll
2: just do uh, <laughs> Flip Crazy's analysis of the young up-and-coming Blue Jays.
1: <laughs> and why they won't succeed I g- in 2020. I give them a D. <laughs> Oh, barely passing. Um, Let's go to another young player who is just plummeting down draft boards. And this is one guy that I'm not surprised by this, but we'll see if things change with the expanded rosters and maybe a traveling squad. But Joe Adele, going around pick 252 right now, that is a good over 18 pick drop from March ADP. And my pure speculation is reports started coming out that he was going to start in AAA. Angels didn't think he was ready, so on and so forth. Shortened season might really screw that up if they're, they're doing the Arizona small season so I think that's why he fell what's your thoughts on Joe Adele
2: yeah I just think you know I think his value depends on whether you think he's ready or not and I think a lot of people don't think he's quite there yet so I um yeah I I think he's I think it's a good it makes sense that he's dropping the way he is yeah, that's pretty much all
1: I thought. It was a good jump, but this next guy going right after him at two fifty four, two fifty five, give or take. Miguel Andahar is a guy that was skyrocketing up. Everyone was in love with Miguel. Aaron judges her. Giancarlo hurt. Aaron Hicks won't be back for a few months. Andahar can DH. He can play the outfield. We know he stinks at third base, but he can always play a couple days there. Whatever. Everyone was buying into Miguel Andahar and that sweet sweet bat. Well. Lo and behold, everyone's going to be healthy pretty much. Maybe not Aaron Judge. That's still up in the air. But most people are going to be healthy for the New York Yankees. And that has resulted in an over-18 position drop for Miguel Andohar. Quite, I was kind of surprised, honestly, to see this big of a drop this early. I expected we'd need more news, positive news, for the Yankees' uh, positional players to drop Andohar like this. But he's plummeting now. Are you – are you interested in Andahar, or are you just going to be like, Nope, this makes sense.
2: I don't think so. Um, It it makes sense to me that he's dropping, not being in the starting lineup right now, the util only, at least for right now. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what, what, how leagues handle the, that, you know, 82 games. Is it now going to be, you know, uh, 10 or seven or eight, depending on the eligibility requirements for, you know, during a season, but, I think the, the situation as it is right now, plus the injury history, plus the util only, it makes a little bit of sense for him to fall. Obviously, he could be a really great bat, but I just think there's a lot of guys who are increasing in value, uh, you know, as a segue to our next guy that we're going to be talking about because of the NL going to a DH only that, you know, he drops a little bit as a result of that. It makes sense. Yep. A hundred percent agree. And the guy you're
1: hinting on there is Ryan Braun, a guy that both of us do like quite a bit. But uh, there's always questions with Avis Garcia there, with smoke coming to first base. He's going to be platooning a lot. You know, he's getting to the point where he's still being productive at the plate, but his defense has taken a hit of late, just, you know, age and not being able to play it the same way ha- has been a little bit of a concern. He's up to pick 256 right now, and that is almost a 13 and a half point or pick jump, which is really solid. And the crazy part, I'm 100% on board with you. His value is going to skyrocket with ADP. I wrote about it at Roto Baller last week with a bunch of other guys. But the thing that's really crazy is these picks were before the DH talk. So this gets even better. Well, I guess there's kind of speculation in, in the Arizona plan. Mm-hmm. But um, like now it's pretty much if we play baseball at all this year, there's going to be a DH that's happening. So his value goes up a ton. What's your thoughts on Ryan Braun?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's great, obviously. I mean, I still think he's a guy who need who's going to need a, a, a day off pretty frequently. But – if they plan those, you know, right. You know, let's say, let's say he takes Thursdays off or something like that. You know, DH is Monday through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, you know, he plays or something. I don't know. That was, that was probably a terrible approach to it, but whatever it is, I think his value definitely goes up a little bit. I think you also need to think about, you know, Avisel Garcia's value going up as well, uh, given, you know, less competition for those limited outfield spots. So, um, yeah, it, he's great, and and I don't want to steal the thunder because you've been a much bigger Ryan Braun advocate um, than I have leading up to the season. So your teams will will reap the benefits, I think, of of the of the DH.
1: Yeah, I'm very excited about it because I was all aboard in like February or so. Then too many rumblings started coming out. I'd still grab him here and there because he got dropping in drafts, but it seemed like the whole idea of him playing the outfield or first base and still playing five or six days a week was getting a little more murky. And when you're playing in weekly leagues, like you and I pretty much exclusively play, it's harder to own a guy when you might only play three or four days a week. So it was getting tricky with Braun, who I love. We talked about him before he's 17 or more home runs and every year since 2014, the dude's just been amazing a 11 or more stolen bases every year since 2014. He's getting you a double double basically. It's absolutely outstanding what he's doing. He's got gonna, he's not going to crush you in batting average. The dude is just really really good at to play. And now the fact that he can potentially not have to um, play in the field is awesome. So I'm a big fan of this. I think it's, he's going to keep going up the boards here. I'd imagine, like I said, he's a pick uh, 256 in April if. And when the season gets approved and they approve the DH, I'd expect his March ADP to get to the 220 ish range, maybe even high. I I think he's going to skyrocket up that board, but uh, Mm -hmm. we'll see.
2: Maybe I'm just too optimistic on Ryan Braun. Yeah, that that, that 250 area of the draft is just going to be nuts. There's a lot of choices there.
0: Will Myers, Myers, Ian Happ, Ryan
2: Braun. Hunter Renfro, John Birdie, even especially with the mm-hmm. season the way it's going to be played, his flexibility will be key. And Duhar, Swanson, Archer, Grichuk, like there's a Castro. There's just so many good players going around. Pick two fifty. That'll be a tough, not necessarily a tough decision because I think a lot will depend on where your where your squad's at at that point in time. But definitely a lot of options right there.
1: Yeah, a lot of uh, building your roster, finalizing your roster, guys mm-hmm. here. And some really solid ones, like you're the, the next Beau Bichette. Um, let's go to a closer. Talked about it last episode. A lot of closers are moving up the boards. And Brandon Kinsler is moving up quite a bit in Miami, which may surprise some. Maybe not. There's kind of two sides of the spectrum there. He's going to pick 262 up almost 11 spots since March, where he wasn't really you know, hunkered in as the Marlins closer. This is a pretty late time in the game in theory about pick 262 to get a guy that should be the main guy in Miami there's always a couple more options in that bullpen I believe your boy Mr. Boxberger is even over there but um what's Boxing. your thoughts on Kinsler, who should have the job
2: yeah I mean it looks like he definitely has the job so I understand why he's going here this is kind of your closer two, closer closer three more area for me when you're kind of taking a shot and I think that's a tough choice. Do you go for like a closer three in this spot for like a Kinsler or a, you know, a Wade Davis, um, or do you just try to feast on some of the offensive talent that's here? I don't know. I, I kind of feel like this is making me feel more inclined to draft a closer to that second closer, you know, solid or maybe a little bit early on knowing the type of offensive talent that's available around here. But um, yeah, I don't know. Who would you rather have Kinsler or Wade Davis? I'd rather have
1: Kensler and I'd rather have the next guy we'll talk about as well. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd rather go Kinsler. I just, I can't, especially if the Rockies are playing in Coors. No, I'm good. I'd rather, if you're going to make it that option, I'd rather wait for Scott Oberg than go mm. for Wade Davis. But um, that'll be one of the many fun discussions. I hope we get to have starting next week with an 82 game schedule is how do we value certain positions on a short schedule? And uh, I've heard a few places talk about it and write about it. And it's a, it's a fun discussion because it may sound simple at certain points, but there's still some things that it will elevate other like statistics in the game. If that makes sense. So it'll be fun to, to break down. That's where, like you said, maybe grab those closers early, those guys that are pretty much locked in to their role, and then just load up on bats. So could be fun. And the next guy I was hinting at is Hunter Harvey. This is a guy I was. All in on towards the end of draft season. I was loving drafting him. I was even in on him before the news came out. He was probably going to be the closer. Then he moved up a little bit, but it still wasn't bad. He was still going in the 300s or so. Well, he's up at 268 now. He got quite the jump. He uh, jumped over 40 spots in a month. That's some uh, helium, as the kids like to say. It, uh, it happened. I'm a big Harvey fan. I would still be buying into him. Michael Gibbons is falling down the ADP boards. Harvey's moving up. That fastball plays very well it is ridiculous it's an outstanding pitch uh what's your thoughts on hunter harvey
2: um i don't know if i share the love for hunter harvey um i mean i think he's he's obviously um you know he's going late enough in drafts where he's worth kind of the shot but um yeah i just think he's not he's probably not gonna get a lot of saves with the o's and it's going to be a lot of tough bats in the Easts. So I, um, I don't know if I can get fully behind it, but again, like all these guys are kind of shots in the dark at this point, I think. Um, yeah, so, in the
1: draft for sure.
2: Yeah. So he's, if he's got the CL next to his name, he's worth a shot. How about that?
1: Yeah. And it's, it's valid concerns, especially if they do the East where he's facing uh, the national league East and the American League East that could get, uh, could get pretty fun there for sure. So, Something to keep in mind. The next guy is a guy I know we've talked about a few times, and he's starting to, starting to get some love indeed, and that is Cesar Hernandez. Up to pick 272 now. He's up 13 spots since March. Hopefully towards, <laughs> oh, someone does not like Hunter. someone.
2: Someone. You pissed off my three-year-old. Oh, with I'm sorry. all this Hunt, Hunter Gibbons. Harvey okay. talk. Michael Gibbons. He's a big Michael on. Gibbons fan. He's a big <laughs> Michael Gibbons fan. All right, Bubba, talk for a second while I go close the door.
1: No that, problem. No room. problem.
2: And this is what we call A-plus parenting.
1: Right yes, now. go get him. Go get him. Cl- um, just
2: close the door. He's, we've been trying <laughs> to put him to bed for like an hour. Or
1: so. All good. All right, all all hold good.
2: on one second. You talk. You talk, Bubba.
1: No problem. Yeah, no, the Hunter Harvey thing, I wrote about it at Rotoball or some late inning closers if you want to go check it out. Fastball, it's like averages around ninety-eight. It's filthy, and he's got a couple decent off-speed pitches he's working on because he was a former starter. So he's got more than just two pitches to go with, which is very, very huge. So um, that's the upside in that respect. But uh, you never know. You never know with uh, the Orioles. As Toby made some great points there, it could be tricky in that scenario. I'm back.
2: But, uh,
1: I'm oh, back. back. There
2: we go. I'm back, but but you may have you may hear just hear. Your- muffled cries of a child who is holding on for we can bring him on the trying show. to stay away I, I could bring beckett on the on the show i don't know how i don't know how successful that would be at <laughs> this late this late in the evening given given his demeanor currently i will say uh, he does not respond well at this at this time of night as you can okay, tell okay fair enough but, well, when we uh, talk about my, michael
1: Chavis, we we could we could use some of the more crying noises
2: yeah, first, there you go. Well, <laughs> my wife has uh, swooped in uh, to the rescue as usual, and so yeah. I'm sure he will be delighted that somebody has come to hung, hang out with him while he falls asleep. The the
1: heroes that they are. That's yeah. There you go there. Uh, sure. Let's talk Cesar Hernandez. Like I said, up 13 spots. We have speculated if he hits north of the top of the Indians lineup, that's outstanding. Um, this guy is a really good ball player. and just doesn't get a ton of love, but he's starting to move up the boards any Caesar Hernandez interest for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think he's really interesting when you think about, you know, stolen base potential, batting average potential, just a really solid contributor, I think, overall. and And based on all the places I've seen him in the lineup, I don't mind it necessarily. Like roster resource has him batting sixth, which, you know, actually compared to second from a stolen base perspective might be better for him. The Indians obviously let guys steal. So I think that's a good shot. And I think the one thing is just from like a recency bias perspective. Last year he had a very low home run total. I'm getting it in front of me. Oh, he he hit 14 last year. He had 15 the year before that. But that 15 is a is kind of nice because even without the juiced ball, he had a little bit of pop. And so you're looking at a guy who, in you know, four of the last five seasons, has hit over 270. So he's a batting average plus you know, stolen base. It was the stolen bases that was down last year at nine. Um, but given like the murderers row they had in, in Philly where he was hitting a lot of the time, you know, that makes sense. They didn't really need to have him steal. So I think he's definitely a guy who can go, you know, 15-15 on a in a six hundred plus plate appearance, you know, season. And I think in the Indians lineup it's very top heavy, but it's solid all around. So I can see I don't have many shares i think i have maybe one or two shares when he was cheaper earlier on this year but um again like i think there's a lot of these middle infield options that aren't going to hurt you and especially if you can platoon them nicely with you know maybe some guys who have a little bit more pop um who you can get later on in drafts that could be a really nice combination kind of working them in based on opponents like when when hernandez is going up against you know the um uh, I mean, there's not a ton of really good pitching in that division, to be honest with you. Like the Tigers and the Royals, even like I mean, the Twins are all right. Especially with Hill coming back, who that's another nice segue right there. And then, um, uh, and then the White Sox are pretty top heavy, I think, but they don't necessarily scare you. So, anyways, that's a long way of saying, yeah, I think I think Hernandez is is solid.
1: Hey, he's another one of those good later round guys that helps if you took a gamble on low average at one point or something along those lines. Go grab a Cesar Hernandez, and that'll help you in a big, big way. And it was a good point you made. If he's maybe batting fifth or sixth or whatever, could help him uh, grab some more bags. So definitely something to keep in mind in that scenario. But let's hit. Let's go to uh, Mr. Rich Hill, who you were talking about a second ago. He is climbing. He's like that guy on Bryce's right that you just don't want to fall over the edge. Um, going to pick two seventy three in April ADP. He's up over seventy five spots. This was pretty clear to me. It's called he was supposed to be back mid-season. Well, if we start in July, that's mid folks. So Rich Hill should be good to go, um, and they have no reason not to use him if he's healthy. We've seen his stats when he's on the mound. He's strikeout guy. He's great for the ratios. He's just going to be a phenomenal asset, again, in a not great division. So I'm all aboard. It's going to be fun to see how high he really goes. What's your thought on Mr. Richard Hill or Big D Mountain, as they say?
2: Yeah, Big D Mountain. Twenty-two point three percent, nineteen point nine percent, twenty-one point two percent, twenty-one point nine percent, twenty-nine point two percent. That's the K minus walk rate for Rich Hill over the last five seasons. I mean, the man when he pitches is very, very good, um, and I don't see a reason. It's not like he was. You know, injury is still going to be a concern. It's always going to be a concern when he goes to the mound but that half season benefits him greatly where he's going right now there's limited amount of risk and you know there's no reason why he can't go 6 innings per start uh and with a really good offense and a not too bad home environment and a good relatively speaking setup i mean i think he's uh, he's outstanding
1: yeah there's not a whole lot more to say there it's just the consistency that he is he's out like you said outstanding if he could pitch a whole season which pretty much i think i don't know if we'll ever see him pitch a whole season again. Um, he would be like a Cy Young candidate if you look at his overall numbers. He's like literally that good time and time again. He might not go super deep in outings. That might kind of knock him down the Cy Young list here and there. But he's good for like quality starts league. He's good. He's a five to six inning guy. Upside to go seven a lot. He's not going to crush you. Big Rich Hill fan. Big fan of this. Uh, I'd be loving to get him. I'd imagine he gets up there closer to 200. but He's going to keep climbing. If he's healthy – and things are pointing in him, just full go, there's no reason he's going this late in draft. So if you're going to start drafting early, get him all you can. Let's put it that way. Yeah. All right, this next guy, I kind of hinted at him earlier, Michael Chavis, is just deep diving down the boards. He's fallen down over almost 17 picks in since March, and that's just quite the fall. He's projected on uh, roster resource to hit sixth for the Boston Red Sox and play second base. So I'll give you that first base, second base eligibility, which could come in handy, middle middle infield, corner infield type options. We know he's a powerful bat. But uh, to me, still a lot of question marks with Michael Chavis. Uh, What's your thoughts on him?
2: Yeah, I agree. I think there's a ton of question marks. Uh, The contact skills are just not that that great. Um, So he hasn't been a guy that I've been targeting at all or really that interested in. you know, there's obviously uh, interesting power uh, from Chavis. You know, with what he showed last year, but he seems like a pretty big regression candidate for me um, across the board. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bow out on him. I think. Yeah, it'll be
1: ironic too because we're gonna talk about the guy that might compete with him at second base later, who is just jumping up the boards for I don't know what reason. So maybe there's a section of of NFBC drafters has the inside scoop on the Boston second base situation. But uh, Mm. it's a, it's a very confusing job, but we'll get to that. We'll stick in the AL East though. And we will talk Nate Pearson, who before uh, March 13th, a lot of people are starting to speculate. He was a good late round flyer. Probably won't start the season with the Jays, but he'll come up. He's electric. We saw him in the Arizona folly, just throwing gas all over the place. Uh, Super talented young arm. He's jumped up a whopping 22.5 spots in the last month or so, up to pick 278. And there's a ton of speculation and discussion, and maybe not so much speculation as it's going to happen, that on this shortened season he'd be starting out with the Toronto Blue Jays, which could be huge. So what's your thoughts on Nate Pearson if you get a full season out of him with the Jays?
2: Well, you know, it's really unfortunate that the, the baby Jays are so bad. You know, that um (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh yeah, I mean, Pearson seems to be a guy that everybody loves. The velocity's there. He looks good in spring training. And yeah, I mean, with the additional playoff spots, it makes a ton of sense for the bouge to kind of go for it. So I can see why he's going up. He's a really nice kind of flyer. And again, you know, every draft pick is important, but you know, and draft picks, especially in this area, there's a lot of really quality guys that you can go for. But Certainly, there's few guys who have as much upside as Pearson has. And so, um, you know, go for it. Yeah, it's a
1: it's a, one of those, if you're going to take the super aggressive approach, I'm all aboard. Just know the volatility could be tremendous with Nate Pearson. Like, it's going to be a lot of ups and downs. There might be some, I think, um, maybe not, I think Chris Paddock, where usually it was really, really good. But when he blew up, it was bad. Or he just wouldn't go deep into games. So you're not getting wins. Uh, things along those lines. And I don't think – and Chris Paddock's got much better control than Nate Pearson where he's not walking anybody. So it's kind of along those lines, but just maybe Dylan Cease-like where it was kind mm-hmm. of all or nothing. So Pe- Pearson can give you the goods. Just remember, a bit risky. And if you want to take some risks, there might be a couple options later on in the young arm department. And, all right, and that's one,
2: what, of, yeah. one one thing just to add in from like a strategy perspective, I think – Like, I think it's good to take calculated risks, but just make sure that you're not like, oh, it's a short season. There's going to be a ton of variance and you're going all upside because, you know, yes, there's a ton of variance, but old veterans can benefit from variance as well. Um, And really like very few teams, I think, are super successful where you take a bunch of risks, right? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, the reason why a guy is risky is because the chances of him being really good, you know, are maybe 20%, but the chances of them falling totally flat on their face are 80%. So if you take five of those guys, you're going to hit one. But if you have four other guys who are absolute garbage, it's it's just going to take away everything that you got from hitting on that one guy. So, I mean, do what you want to do from a strategic standpoint, but I don't think your approach should necessarily be that different in terms of, like, you know... um, Go after good players and don't take too many risks. Take calculated risks and risk towards the back end of the draft that can pay off in a big time are 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 good risks I think to take. Anyway, that makes so sense. Here's my note of caution.
1: It makes sense because you want the risky players to hit, and like we talked about, guys that win leagues, you know, the gamble pays off. But if you have two gambles to pay off instead of ten, the odds of two hitting are obviously much bigger than ten. So it's uh, stuff along those lines that makes a ton of sense. As you were saying, uh, let's go to a guy that both of us like. Tons of eligibility, second base shortstop and outfield in FPCs and other leagues he even has first base eligibility. Uh, Nico Goodrum, he's up to pick 283, moving up uh, almost 13 spots in a month. That is uh, big boy stuff. I don't know if it follows the trend I was talking about of multi-position guys are kind of getting a bump or if people are starting to realize that Nico Goodrum and the Tigers, we've seen some Tigers moving up. Maybe they're thinking no Comerica Park. They're playing in Florida all year. That could be a plus. But Nico Goodrum, moving on up, what's your thoughts on uh, Mr. Goodrum, who you are a fan of?
2: Yeah, um, I'm a fan. I mean, I think he just is a really nice piece to have on your team because of the the dual position eligibility, second base shortstop. Um, It just really allows – it's unfortunate really that he doesn't have first base eligibility, you know, anymore. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I just think that having that guy like that, who you can have on your bench and you can play matchups when he's, he's got solid matchups going on. Um, and then, you know, you always have him there occupying a couple backup on a couple positions. So if you get an injury midweek, you always have somebody there. I think there's a ton of value to guys like that, especially guys who can contribute, you know, stolen bases and some power and. And he's a little streaky, so you know if you catch him in the right in the at the right time, you can get a little bit of a a little bit of a good run on him.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I'm I'm a fan of Nico power speed combo. I'm uh in, in multi position eligibility checks all the boxes coming uh, after pick 280 for me. So no problem with Mister Goodrum. This next one, I've never been a Miles Meekless guy. Plain and simple, just never never been one. Haven't been able to stomach it because he's he's good in certain spots but he just doesn't strike anybody out and it's hard to stomach that the way i build my teams that could be my problem but uh going around pick 284 right now he is up a wa- over almost 37 spots and that is strictly because he was injured now he should be healthy to start the season so if we have a healthy miles Mikulis are you buying into this new price tag toby
2: Um, I, I am, um, because Mikolas is a guy that with the strategy that I employ, he, he does. I like it a lot because the K's per nine are not great, but theoretically when he's healthy and and obviously there's some concerns around that right now, but when he's healthy, um, he throws innings. And so the overall K's aren't that terrible, right? Like I think there are, um, I should have it in front of me, but I think it's like 160 or 170 per year, something like that. and so. You know that's not terrible. He's in a really good uh, pitcher's park, one of the best. He's got a very good infield defense. He doesn't walk guys, so he always helps your whip out. Um, and so when you have like the two aces, or you have like a really strong start to your um, team, he's kind of like a, a poor man's uh, Kyle Hendricks in some ways, where the K's aren't necessarily there there, but they're, he's going to support the ratios, and you're fairly confident. He's not really going to blow up like he's going to be a guy that you can have in 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 the vast majority of starts outside of against like I think he's like awful against the Cubs. But um, other than that, like you're you're pretty much set to have him in there. So he's a guy that I really like. Actually, I have him on quite a few of my early drafted teams before the injury hit. So um, I'm a little bit happy about, um, you know, he's one guy who I could benefit from uh, in the in the shortened season. If he can cut back on the home
1: runs, maybe maybe it was bouncy ball and induced, who knows? But a, a 7% jump in home runs to over 16% was quite the uh-oh. But, uh oh. But yeah, if he puts the innings in and then the kicker, if they do the NL or the Central Division, getting to face those teams in the AL Central with the NL Central could be absolutely ridiculous. So that, that could help him a ton. Yeah. Um,
2: and I, and really I will crazy. say he was much better in the second half. And I want to say. Again, something I should have in front of me, but I want to say that he made some adjustments with his pitch mix. I think he probably just got overwhelmed with the bouncy ball. And once he figured out what was going on, he made some, um, he made some changes there, but he was definitely much better in the second half uh, last year. And I feel like it was something that he either didn't earn how bad he was in the first half, or um, he actually made some uh, pretty strong um, improvements. So uh, that's my that's my story. I'm sticking to it.
1: That's your boy. No, don't, no need to
2: change that at all. A guy that's dropping who I was in
1: love with early in draft season because he had a role. Well, that role might be gone. And that's Jordan Montgomery who's dropped a pick 290. Um, he's uh, dropping almost 16 draft pick spots since the March ADP. And, you know, they still might have a spot for him if they go six-man rotation or something. But there are some healthy members, Paxton's back and, and some other – pitchers in that Yankees rotation are kind of taken away from Jordan Montgomery who I really like his upside there's still some scratch your head moments with him at times but overall his velocity looked a little better towards the end of spring and I think there's something there with Montgomery just someone to keep an eye on to see how that plays out once they start you know ramping things up again but what's your thoughts on Montgomery who's dropping a bit and maybe turns into value or maybe just can't be drafted?
2: Yeah, you know, I wasn't really interested in Montgomery for much of the drafting season, but then I saw an article about the increased velo, and it wasn't just like half a it mile a per hour, a mile per hour. It was like, yeah, like two to three miles per hour. So again, like it's always really hard to tell whether that, you know, whether that's going to translate from spring training, you know, to the season, but it's enough to have me incredibly intrigued. When you look back before the Tommy John, I mean, he had a pretty effective 2017 season You know, he's got a good curveball. You know, he's got three pitches that back in 2017 that had um, 15% or higher swinging strike rate on them. Obviously, the challenge is the lack of a fastball. But, you know, you bump him up from where he was, which I think was like around 91. Yeah, 91.1. You bump him up to 92, 93. That's a little bit of a different pitcher right there. And so especially with the Yankees offense behind him, the Yankees bullpen, he could make a really nice addition. I also love J.A. Happ in that in that rotation as well. I mean, Domingo Herman now is going to be out for the whole year, too, which is something else to consider. So um, I don't know. I he's a guy that's definitely grown on me. Um, you know, with with the delay and more information coming out about that velo bump. So it'll be interesting to see where he's at in spring training as far as that's concerned.
1: Yeah, hopefully he gets gets a spot. It's like Happ's gonna be. You know, there was kind of question marks. He looked like he was good to go, but who knows? He's fine. Paxton's going to be healthy. Reports are he's fine. Uh, you still got Tanaka and company there. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But, um, yeah, it, there there should be a spot there, you'd think, with uh, no Hermon, no Sevi, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'd be okay with it if he wants to fall some more and become a better value. That works for me as well. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on Mr. Montgomery there. And we'll turn our eyes to Spencer Howard, of the philadelphia phillies who was the talk of a a lot of people i was even you know debating do i take a late gamble on him and i was talking to some prospect guys like james anderson and others that i really respect i said what do you think the real chances are that he has a chance to produce for the phillies this year and most of them told me he won't be up till at least midway through the year they want to give him a few innings in the minors they're not ready to give him a full workload this year and they'll use him late in the year, maybe like, you know, the, the Walker Bueller type thing when he gets called up, maybe a start here or there, a little bit out of the back of the bullpen. It was tough to gauge with Spencer Howard. So he was going, um, he was going 53 picks later in March. Now he's up to pick uh, 291, 292. And a lot of that has to do with the Phillies flat out saying Spencer Howard has a great shot to be in the rotation. There's like, he'd have to really screw up to not get in the rotation. And that changes things a bit. That's an interesting little tweak there. Any thoughts
2: on Spencer Howard? Yeah, I mean, I would trust uh, I would trust the prospect guys over myself in analyzing him. But, you know, he's been um, pretty successful everywhere he's been. I know people like him a lot. Again, it would make sense for the Phillies, you know, similar to the Blue Jays, you know, barring somebody winning that spot. I mean, they kind of know what they have. We all know that Nick Pavetta is terrible and nobody should ever have drafted him high. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but Nick Pavetta is Nick Pavetta still. And obviously like there's still some hope that he could be good, but Vince Velasquez is Vince Velasquez. And I've been a fan of his, you know, like last season at certain sports, but just in a 15 team league as a guy that you can kind of rotate in with some good matchups. But Spencer Howard, I think has the, has the opportunity to be, you know, a pretty uh, special player from everything I've heard from the different prospects guys. He doesn't have a lot of the walk issues, um, you know, I don't think as, as, um, uh, some other guys, or at least last year, he didn't have as many walk issues. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, even steamer has him for a league average K minus walk rate, which you could certainly outperform that on a really good Phillies team. So, you know, why not? Again, yeah, I'm, I'm in on I
1: mean, a, uh, I'm
2: in on him. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, um, you know the biggest the biggest question for things like this is like okay you have you have a decision between Spencer Howard, you know at, at at his ADP or Cole Hamels at his ADP, you know and so just thinking about like you know okay there's certainly you know a lot of uh, you know Howard could be much better than Cole Hamills I think Cole Hamills' ceiling is a little bit capped out whereas Howard could be absolutely fantastic. At the same time it feels like the floor might be a little bit lowered both in terms of like you know, the playing time that you're going to get and just the overall situation. So those are just the questions you have to ask yourself. And and depending on how your rotation is built, you know, one may be a better better in in one spot versus the other.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I'll go Howard over Hamels, but I see the argument for both. I'm just I'm I'm concerned about Hamels in Atlanta. That's going to be quite interesting there. Uh, now we're getting to the point of the show that I'm very much looking forward to. Very, very much. Teoscar Hernandez, one of the baby Blue Jays, he's a masher, tons of power. Um, he's jumped up to pick 303, 304 in drafts, over 21 draft spots. He is just moving on up, which it's good to see Grichik and Hernandez both moving up the draft boards for the baby Blue Jays. Toby, remind everybody that you do like Blue Jays players. You like Gritchik, you like Teoscar. Tell them why.
2: Yeah, I mean, with Teoscar, I've talked about him a number of times on the show, but Um, second half of last year, he just made some really critical changes. Like you think about all the pieces that you look for with a guy like, uh, Hernandez or any hitter, right? You want to see them getting more selective at the plate. He got more selective at the plate. You want to see him making more contact inside the zone. And overall, he made improvements in that department in the second half. You want to see him lowering uh, his ground ball rate, hitting the ball in the air more. That's something that he did and his stat cast data and the quality of contact hasn't necessarily been a major question for Teoscar, Um, but um, you know he continued to absolutely rake even with those adjustments that he made. So seeing the ball better, making contact better, hitting the ball better when he did, his exit velocity surged, his hard hit rate surged to just really, really high levels. Um, I think there's a ton to like. I think he's going to get every day at bats. They've got to see whether he's a part of the future, and he also adds a little bit of speed. So the batting average isn't going to be terrific, but um, you know he could. This could be a guy who goes 30-10 like in a six hundred plate appearance season, and I can't say that I would be super surprised by that. You know, as long as he stays healthy and gets those plate appearances, like he's going to hit for power, he's going to get some stolen bases, and you know, um, and he's the, he's the baby J. Him and Grichik are the baby Jays that I love. Yep, he's a. Uh, I'd say he's a three and a half to
1: four contributor because bases he's got double-digit potential he really does because if you look at stat 94th per sp- percent speed like he's in the percentile mm-hmm. in sprint speed there we go not not so a that, great base uh, dealer he's very solid there no but yeah he doesn't have that uh rookie henderson jumping skill but uh, you mentioned his hard hit rates his exo bacons everything you want to look at on stat cast pace it's phenomenal strikes out quite a bit which you kind of expect uh um, but uh, it, it's fun for me, and this is what I was waiting for, is I would rather wait on Teoscar Hernandez than Randall. Great. They have extremely similar profiles, like very, very similar statistical profiles. Maybe not overall plate profiles, but end results are very similar. Would you rather have Grittchik at his price or Teoscar at
2: his? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um Probably Teoscar, where he's going right now. Um, I think the only challenge is that Grichik feels like such a sure thing, you know. So I think a lot of it would depend on kind of where I'm at with stolen bases. But I actually don't mind getting both of them. To be honest with you, I like waiting on outfield and targeting both of those guys and getting some quality pitchers in between. Seems like a pretty good, good, good idea to me. It
1: does sound like a decent recipe for success. I don't blame you. One bit on that one. Now, this next player can, confuses me and maybe not be a recipe for success. And that's Jose Peraza, who's jumped up to pick 305 in ADP. He has climbed almost 25 spots in a month. We mentioned how Michael Chavis is dropping. We mentioned Jose Peraza's up. And I'll be honest, I'm a Jose Peraza fan. If I knew he was going to get consistent playing time it, it, with a team like the Red Sox, I was all about it at first when they said he's going to you know, start every day. I, I was I was happy about that. Then that got pulled away. So I've always been a believer, little bit of power, tons of speed. In that Red Sox order, could score a ton of runs. I'm a fan of those things. Those are good things late in a draft. I'm just not convinced he's going to play enough. And now he's jumping up ADPs. I was baffled by this whole situation. Anything rack your brain on why this makes
2: sense? Uh, not really. <laughs> uh, maybe the dual position eligibility, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little flabbergasted. I don't know. I just don't really, I just don't really. Yeah. I'm just not, I don't think he's that, Yeah, I don't think he's a good hitter. No, I'm, he doesn't, I, he doesn't get on base.
1: Yeah. He's not good enough if he's not playing every day. Like he can, I can take the punishment once in a while if he playing every day, but that's not going to happen. So. Tricky one there, something to monitor. Just curious on uh, that one stood out of what just happened with Jose Peraza. Uh, but we have a we have some followers here. A lot of the Giants pitchers fell. and One of them was Kevin Gossman, who uh, many people were high on coming uh, over to the Giants because that makes a ton of sense. Come from either Camden Yards or Atlanta, and now he's going to pitch in AT&T Park. That sounds like a recipe for success for many pitchers. Well, now he's probably going to pitch in Arizona. Still have to go to the field. <laughs> Tons and tons of fun here, folks. This just blew up like a bad habit. I'd still be okay with him if he was closing, which I always thought he should have. But uh, they're, they're gung-ho on him starting. Going around pick 314 right now. He's dropped 15 spots in the last month since they changed AT&T to Scottsdale Stadium. So um, what's your thoughts on gospel now? For me, it's, it's just not happening.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Um, and the one thing that I'd caution on the Scottsdale stuff is that and just the Arizona stuff in general is we just don't know what they're going to do, right? Like it probably won't be as good as as Oracle, although they're moving the the um, fences in there. But, you know, we don't know what type of humidor, humidor they're going to use. Um, you know, we we don't know what time of day they're going to play at. So there's just a lot of questions about like what that looks like in practice. But I think that uncertainty certainly makes sense for why he would fall a little bit. I'm more... I don't have much Gosman. I can see the love for him, although he's just a two-pitch pitcher, so it's hard to hard for me to see him be successful. But, um, you know, for a guy like Drew Smiley, who I've loved a lot, it's certainly, uh, certainly a little painful.
1: Yeah, I would hope they would use a humidor. I know that has been in discussions a lot. Game times are going to be just
2: tricky unless they play at
1: like 8 in the morning. Um, it's just going to be hot. But the humidors, it's interesting if they pull it off, just in the grand scheme of things. It's not going to be any better than AT&T ever. So it's going to suck. I'm just not happy about it. Because, yeah, Smiley is another one we talked about as a late-round target, which would have been very, very nice. Uh, let's go to the Tampa Bay Rays here. Brendan McKay, dual threat. Brendan McKay, not quite a Otani, dual threat, but is a dual threat. We saw him last year. He had his glimpses of good, glimpses of bad, up and down from the minors and the bigs. Some people are super high on him, some not so much. It's kind of hard to see where he really fits in with all the arms that the Rays have, especially when it sounds like Yarborough and Torinos won't be used with openers anymore. So that really limits things a bit. Uh, he's going to pick 314, dropping almost 15 spots in the last month. I have no Brendan McKay. I haven't tried to get any Brendan McKay just because I don't know if there's room at the end for Brendan McKay. What about you?
2: Um, yeah, I don't have any Brendan McKay. I'm not really interested, um,
1: yeah. in him. Yeah. It's tricky. It's just, I don't know where he plays. It's really complicated to, to figure that one out. So
2: yeah, and mean, are I think people are, people far. are probably that, you know, now that we get a better sense of what might happen, people are probably move, move, moving on. Um, yeah. This one's a
1: little more fun though, because a similar to the gospel and things, but flip it and reverse it. A Giants player is hitting in Scottsdale, a lot better than hitting ATT Park, potentially. (laughs) Given given right-handed bats can show power in ATT Park. But Mauricio Dubon, who only has second base eligibility, again, you mentioned it earlier. It's going to be interesting to see if the shortened season do players gain eligibility quicker or how's that going to work situation? Because the Giants are going to play him at shortstop. They're going to play him in the outfield. You start letting them move all over the diamond. This is huge. He's up to pick three seventeen, three eighteen 318 right now. He has jumped up almost 28 spots in a month, which people were just flocking to this uh, versatile Dubon to play in Arizona full-time. What's your thoughts on him, though? Because, you know, the, there's power speed he's shown in the minors, hits for a good average in the minors, could play everywhere for the Giants. Interesting target this late in the draft.
2: Yeah, I think he's definitely really, he's really interesting. Um, Yeah, everything helps him. The DH helps him, all of that jazz. Like, you know, it's hard to know exactly what you have in him because he doesn't have a lot of time in the majors. I know, you know, the power is a little bit limited. But, you know, a guy who who can play a lot of positions and who provides a little bit of power, a decent amount of speed, and probably isn't going to hurt you in batting average, you can kind of move around. Um, I, and the better environment, like you mentioned, I think there's a lot of recipes for him going up, which I think, again, fantasy owners are really smart. And so they're moving him up the board, but, um, that makes a, it makes a lot of sense to me.
1: Yeah. He's a, he's a guy I can get behind at that draft slot, see how much higher he goes and might become more of a question, but there's, there's tremendous upside there. Another kind of, maybe a gamble pick, but lots of ways he can help you. Uh, Carter Kibum is a guy I'm really high on his overall skill set. Uh, he's falling tremendously, though. Well, not a ton, ton, but each month he's falling, which is pretty crazy. He's going to pick 321 right now. Uh, he's fallen about 10 draft spots since March. Still projected to hit ninth for the Nats. I haven't really seen anything change there. I'm kind of wondering why he's falling. Maybe people would rather take gambles elsewhere because he's been projected to hit towards the bottom of the Nats lineup this whole time. So I'm still a keyboom fan. I'm not rushing to get him. But I have no problem with him. I think his upside is huge. Um, And I think he's got a good floor if he's going to play every day. But uh, he's fallen in in, uh, drafts. What's your thoughts on Kibum?
2: Yeah, and he's likely to get that third base eligibility, third base shortstop. So, um, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. I don't have any shares of him. I think with even more offensive players becoming interesting, who, um, you know, with the DH happening, I just see a lot of guys – um, I just see a lot of better hitters at this point in time. And I'm oftentimes targeting pitchers in this area. There's a lot of pitchers that I really like who are, um, around this, this area, you know, you have like Freddie Peralta around here, you have Jay Happ around here, um, Austin Voff, folks like that. So I'm oftentimes targeting a pitchers around here. Um, you know, he was young and he was successful in AAA. So that definitely means something, but I don't necessarily see prospect guys clamoring after him you know, which is a little bit of a, of a warning sign to me. So, um, and batting ninth, you know, if he's there and they just want to kind of take a little bit of the pressure off of him, that definitely inhibits his, um, value a decent amount. So I'm not really into him, but yeah. Yeah.
1: Something must've happened. Cause I know a bunch of prospects guys loved him a couple of years ago. They were all excited when he got the call. Obviously it didn't work out too well the first time up there getting that first cup of coffee, but, um, yeah, the, the the discussion on him has definitely simmered quite a bit, as you're saying. So, interesting point there. I wonder what that all, that's all about. Maybe we have to ask one of them here pretty soon. A couple more players to talk about here, and then we'll wrap this up. John Means, great first half last year, made the All-Star team. Second half kind of, I don't know if he ran out of steam so much, but he gave up a lot of home runs, lots of home runs. Uh, things got a little sketchy there for Means. We saw some increased velocity this spring. Trying to introduce another off-speed pitch as well, which could be tremendous. Uh, he's up to pick three twenty-six right now, jumping up over eleven spots in March. I think the idea of maybe being out of Camden Yards uh, pushed that direction. Not sure, but that could be an option. Uh, what's your thoughts on John Means? Because he's a guy I haven't been able to fully embrace because he still has to face a lot of really good offenses. You know, Yankees, Red Sox, Blue Jays, maybe some others in the NL East. It's still hard for me to to, to wrap my arms around him.
2: Yeah, I think with means, um, I I think you're right. Like, I think it's the environment change that people were maybe buying into. I also think there's a little bit, he was another one of those uh, spring training velocity surgers. And so I think that could also have to do with it. He was like Montgomery, he was up like maybe two miles per hour. So a decent amount. And so if you add in a better fastball with the changeup that he already has, and the changeup actually didn't end up being that good this year, just from a metrics perspective, I hope I'm not not totally wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure I I looked at him and like the swinging strike rate on it was around 15%. This is always a really good test of my memory whenever I say things like that. And I hope I don't look foolish. Uh, Yeah, 13.8% swinging strike rate on that changeup. So it's his best pitch for sure, but um, that doesn't mean it's necessarily a dominating pitch, but you add a couple miles per hour to that fastball um, and that definitely will play up the changeup, potentially even the slider. So I can see that and the change potential change in environment, but yeah, going, going against the hitters in the East is, is a little bit of a tough thing. I mean, you got the Braves lineup, you got the Nats lineup, you got the Phillies lineup. uh, You got um, the Yankees lineup. You got the Red Sox lineup. You got the Blue Jays lineup. Although we know how I feel about the baby Jays (laughs) and, um, and then who am I missing? There's one other team in the AL East that I, oh, and the Rays lineup, which is, is a tough lineup to face as well. So, So there's just a lot of, I mean, it really makes you think, um, you know, again, there are elite pitchers like Garrett Cole, who's going to be good against anybody that he faces. Um, Jacob deGrom, they're going to be good against anybody that they face, but it's certainly, you know, for other pitchers that aren't quite the same caliber, it's a little bit of a tough proposition, especially when they're not on a team that's expected to win a lot of games. Those are going to be some, that's going to be really competitive teams that guys are going up against. So, um, yeah, i i I wouldn't be that into him. I don't think, but I think the the increase in velocity is certainly intriguing, and and the step that a lot of t- people take before they take that next jump.
1: Yeah, he's going to get you a lot of strikeouts. He's definitely going to do that. Ratios could be interesting, and then like what you said with the wins, eighty two game season. Say the Orioles win thirty games, thirty five games, that might be on the high side of things because they're not going to be that good. How many of those does John Maine get? So it's not like you're drafting them for wins. That, that's going to really get you. I know it's a silly thought, but it is a thought. A shortened season, maybe those wins become more valuable. Things along those lines. Um, something we'll, we'll discuss down the road here. But it does hinder him. It's interesting to watch him. The Like you said, increased velocity could be just huge. But we'll have to keep an eye on that. And the uh, last thing, last player that we will discuss here tonight, David Fletcher. This one uh, stood out to me because – I believe we've talked about him in the past. I know other people have. You look at Fletcher's stat cast metrics and other things. Great contact guy, hard hit contact guy. Has shown life to be a pretty good hitter. It's just weird, though. He's going to pick 329 now. He's up over 12 spots in a month, but he's projected to platoon, not even start every day with the Angels. I can't wrap my head around this one. I don't know what's. I think the Peraza one's still a little stranger than Fletcher, but this one's weird, Toby. Do you have any uh, thoughts on David Fletcher moving up like this?
2: Uh, I don't. I think it's the multi-position eligibility um, would be my guess. I don't know. Actually, I'm also not sure. Well, this is only online, right? That we're looking at. Is it only yep, online? Just, just the just onlines, online because yeah. like, there was barely
1: any DCs in.
2: Uh, in yeah, the- I was going to yeah, say the DCs for a second, but yeah, that doesn't really make sense. So yeah, I, I don't understand it either. The problem with um, problem with Fletcher is he reminds me a little bit of Luis Arias in the sense that like they just don't contribute enough in speed or power. The power is so low. You need like some speed, you know, to contribute there, to give you not just an empty batting average. Like it's just hard to compete, you know, with, with that. So maybe a guy that you have on your bench and you kind of throw in, um, in good matchups or just to have there to to fill in for guys when they're injured and so that you can maybe churn your bench a little bit more, but he's just not a really interesting guy to me because of the skill set.
1: Yeah, I don't blame you at all. Pretty much on the same page with you there. It's a very interesting move in that regard. But um, that'll wrap up our ADP discussion this week. If you guys want more, we can go deeper. But it's just like there's a handful of, you know, catchy names that we can talk about. But I think we'll talk about them as uh, we get closer to hopefully some real baseball. But there are some pretty big jumpers like Corey Knievel because he's getting healthy. Uh, Howie Kendrick's getting some love. Jose Alvarado, Talkman's falling like crazy. Um, stuff along those lines but uh, it kind of gets all pretty similar after pick 300 or so so let us know if you want any of that but otherwise we'll start digging into some other goodness but uh, any final thoughts this week toby as we've gone through roughly the top 300 or so picks uh, risers and fallers over the last few weeks and hopefully get some new news and see some new adp
2: yeah, I just think the next few weeks are going to be really interesting. You know, I think we should have a pretty clear outline after the conversations tomorrow between the, out, uh, the owners and the, the players about what exactly it is that they're proposing that baseball looks like. And so that I think will give us a really clear um, framework to work from as we kind of analyze who are the risers, who are the fallers, what are the characteristics that make people risers and fallers in in this new context um I'm really interested in and really excited to kind of dive into that and really get going. You just hope that they um you know you just hope that they can come to an agreement and again, you know don't take the side of the players you know the players are the guys who are taking on the physical risk of being out there putting themselves on the line um, you know they've got short careers they're trying to do the best thing for themselves and their families, and the owners are billionaires so you know, support the players. Let's hope that there's a, a, a player friendly deal that they're able to come to some sort of agreement. Um, because, yeah, the last thing we need is for to get caught up in the kind of you know the the usual blaming the players for something. Uh, you know, with in in the context of of, of COVID nineteen and everything that's going on. So let's hope everything happens. But I'm really excited to see that framework and to kind of move forward from there. It's going to be really really exciting.
1: Yeah, no, there's the f- the framework on like the, the, the shape of the scheduling, and that all looks pretty fun and good. It's the monetary thank you for risking yourselves that's going to be interesting because mm-hmm. that's, like you're saying, the initial stuff that's been leaked out, nothing, we haven't seen anything for sure. But just the kind of the comments from the players and the players union people, this one's not going through. So there's going to be some more back and forth here. And hopefully the owners, like you said, the billionaires can, you know, realize that them losing 40% or whatever this year and sitting in their luxury box or their private jet, uh, isn't that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. So, uh, and and not 40% of everything they own, just 40% of this year's revenue. So let's throw that one in there and, uh, just put that one in perspective. So I'm all aboard. I I want the players to go back and play a ton. So don't misinterpret things I say here on Twitter or something. Um, some people do because that's the beauty of social media. I want them to be safe. That's one of my things in day one. But I also want to see baseball. So I think there's a way to do both. And that's what they got to figure out and make it worth. So I'm happy to see there's movement. I think pretty soon we'll be able to break down some more fun stuff that's going to be pertinent in the coming weeks that's like actually going to happen. So that's good to see. And if you have any questions, fire away at us and let us know because until they do finalize stuff, we're going to keep trying to think of new ways to bring you some fantasy baseball. But until next time. Toby's on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I am on Twitter at Entric This was Bub and the BatFlip episode 37. Catch you guys later.
3: This is Sean Green from the Sports Gambling Podcast. And in case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now, as well as my show, the Sports Gambling Podcast, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans, plus guys like me who just love betting on sports. Over the past few years, Blue Wire's privately raised over $10 million to expand their team, podcast network, and business operations. Now they are raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding source that connects startups with investors. It's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. In other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. I, I can vouch for sports gambling podcast and our sports gambling podcast network. Our partnership with blue wire has really been vital to us growing. Um, Kevin and his team do tremendous work over there. So blue wire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which in turn will help this show and many like them continue to grow. If you'd like to be part of the blue wire investment round or want to find out more information, go to WeFunder.com bluewire. slash blue wire.